Now, you know, the past few weeks I've been preaching on the cross, not a piece of wood, but the one who hung there, the one who died there, not really by the hand of man, because Jesus said about himself, he said, I have the power to lay my life down, and I have the power to take it up again. So what he did, he deliberately, voluntarily, and willingly gave his life for us. No man, no angel, no government, no nation, no spiritual power had the strength to take his life from him. He laid it down. That he took it up again, raised again on the third day by the marvelous power of God to bring us salvation. Now, after those three days, he rose again. And the Bible makes a clear point that that same Jesus who died on that cross is now living in the being, in the heart, the life, the mind. I want to enlarge it because we just put it in the heart like we have a fond memory of him or somehow that we memorialize him in our hearts. But the Bible is not speaking about Jesus living in our hearts in that way. It's speaking about a dynamic reality, a mighty potential that this Jesus Christ who hung on that cross, who went down into the heart of the earth, who was resurrected by the power of God and ascended to the right hand of God, that same Jesus is living in you, not in a memorialized way, but in the fullness of power, and able to accomplish everything through you that he personally was able to accomplish on this earth outside of dying for sins. You can't die for anyone's sins. But you can do everything that Jesus was able to do while he was on this earth, and that is the nature of this series of messages which I'm going to be preaching. Because what we're speaking about is you now living in resurrected life. You remember Paul's testimony, I am crucified with Christ, yet I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. So it is no longer us who live, it is Christ living in us. Yes, we're alive, same in one sense, same person as we were, in a sense, if you think about memory, you can remember what you did, you can remember how you used to be, you can remember how you thought, but I tell you something, you are not the same person, you are transformed because Jesus Christ is living in you if you have given your heart and your life to him. So this series of messages will be about that subject. I'd like you to bow your head with me then in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you now direct us in this series of messages. Lord, that they be faith-building, faith-releasing, revelatory messages illuminating to our minds so that we will not be, when they are finished, the same kind of persons we were when we started. Let your people be blessed by your word let them be touched by your Spirit. Let them be moved upon by your Son, Jesus. This is our prayer to you, Father. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Here is your potential, is the name of this message. And the first section is reigning in life. That is this present life. Now, what the Scripture makes is a very great certainty of reigning in the future life. And I think there's no Christian that I've ever met that has any doubts about reigning in the future life. We know that we will rule and reign with Christ. 
in some future time. For some, depending on your eschatology, that would be very near future here, and then there will be a thousand years. For others, they would have a different viewpoint. But they know it's sometime future. But what the Bible is speaking about is reigning with Christ in this present life. In other words, he now is reigning at the right hand of God, and in another very real sense, he is living in you. Now he is reigning there, and he is reigning here, except he cannot do that unless you realize the potential that is in you to reign in this life through Christ Jesus. You see, he intended that you should realize how great that miracle was that Christ should be living in you. That he intends to manifest himself through you in exactly the same way as he did when he was on this earth before. He intends to speak the same kind of words. He intends them to be with the same kind of power. He intends to touch people that are desperately in need. He intends to feed the hungry. He intends to heal the sick. He intends to raise the dead. He intends to glorify God. But now when people look at how that is happening, they are not able to see Jesus in the same way that we are able to see Jesus. We are able to see Jesus with the eye of faith. All they can look at is see is a human. Then it is up to us to speak why that person was healed, why that blessing is upon our lives, what it is that has transformed everything that we have touched. For God surely intends that what you touch, it shall be changed. God intends that you should reign in this life, that this world will be a different place because you have come into it and Christ has come into you, that this world is not to be the same when you leave it as it was when you found it. It is not a place. It was never intended to be a place where the devil would rule in this world, where the devil would run rampant throughout this earth, destroying and marauding and killing and wrecking. Never intended that it should be that way. But the reason it has been that way is God's people have not realized the divine potential of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And my prayer is that in these next few weeks, you will begin to realize what it means when the Bible says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, it isn't Christ, the hope of glory. For years, that was my idea about that scripture. Until I read it and God opened my eyes to it. It doesn't say Christ, the hope of glory. What it says is, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is that miracle, that marvelous condescension of Jesus Christ, that he left his heavenly place and came to dwell, first of all, in human form, in clay, in a tent like we have, his own that Father gave him through Mary, that tent, and then to leave that tent, now see the right hand of God, but also by His Holy Spirit to come and live again in these tents. This body, your body, your mind, your spirit. And to do exactly the same thing through your tent and your spirit and your soul and your heart as He did when He was upon this earth. Now that's the nature of this message. Now, let's turn to some of the scriptures and look what the Bible has to say. I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Romans. And we're going to look at the fifth chapter. And this is verses 17 to 21. Now, speaking here about the cross, we want to come from this place to the cross to this present part of the message. For if by the transgression of the one, that's Adam now, when Adam sinned, the whole world came under condemnation of sin. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, 
See, as in Adam all die, as in Christ shall all be made alive. Potential is there. Death reigns through the one. Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Christ Jesus. Now, not reign in the future, reign in life. Now, we have to understand then who we are in Christ. Many of us allow our bodies to be taken over by sicknesses and diseases. That's not what Christ intended. We allow our homes to be destroyed. That's not what Christ intended. We allow ourselves to be bound by demons of poverty. That's not what Christ intended. And not what it has to be for God's people. So it says, if it is so, that one person brought death into the world, and so that death reigned upon the whole human race by Adam's sin, then it says, much more, and the Scripture uses that type of language continually, much more, those who receive the abundance of grace, which that has been poured out on us, and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Christ Jesus. So then, as through one transgression... There resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through one man's disobedience many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of one, the many will be made righteous. And the law came in that transgression might increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. See what we're talking about, this abounding grace through Jesus Christ, that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now we're talking about two kinds of reigning then. We're talking about reigning in the future and reigning in the present. Now, what must be done if you really believe the message of the cross is to say, well, here's what Jesus did on that cross. He purchased for me something called salvation. What is the potential of that salvation? Is it merely that I will be saved from some future holocaust? Something called hell? Is that what it means? Yes, it means that. But that's not the fullness of it. We limit it. We reduce all that Jesus did at Calvary. We reduce it to a smaller thing than it ought to be. It's wonderful to be saved forever. It's wonderful to go to heaven but I say to you right now, there are people on this earth that are suffering and bleeding and dying, that are Christians, that know the truth, but the truth has not made them free because they do not understand fully the truth that we have been called upon by God to reign in this life through the one Christ Jesus. And the sad part of it is that Jesus suffered so much to get so little in return. My beloved brothers and sisters, I beg you, and pray you to give attention to what I'm going to say in these next few weeks, that you understand the potential of what this Bible offers, and then come with me on this adventure to explore that potential in Jesus Christ. And see, talking about a training center, of preparing people to go to foreign countries. Well, some of those foreign countries are much like we are, Western countries, relatively prospering. But I want to tell you, some of those countries we'll go to in the very near future are not prospering. They're in famine, they're in disease, they're in sickness, and I tell you, they need a message that is greater than just merely sometime in the future, things will be better for you. They've lost that kind of hope. Maybe they can believe it, some can believe it, but I tell you something, the power of Jesus Christ is to say to this world right here, 
right now, our God is alive and can meet your present need. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Second scripture that I wish us to look at is the second point I wish to make, found in Colossians, the third chapter. Now here again, this will never take place unless we give our minds to this kind of thinking. Unfortunately, a good deal of us were caught up in present unreality. We need to be caught up in present reality. Colossians, the third chapter, verse 1. If you then have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, that's where we have to see him reigning in life. No devil has the power over him that today. He has the power over all the power of the enemy. And he says he's given that to us. If you then have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. That's the key. Not to be caught up in the things of this life and we're just totally involved and we need to be part of the time. Part of the time we have to take care of certain things. Don't get so heavenly minded you're no earthly good. But the thing that I'm talking about is that a good part of the time we need to think about the things that Christ has purchased for us. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now notice this interesting interplay again. I'm going to read another scripture to you and I'll bring the two together. Turn me to Galatians, the second chapter. Galatians, the second chapter. I'm going to read verses 18. Start there. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. Now, here's Paul's great message. Remember the one says, set your mind on things which are above, not on things of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now, that's a position that we must see ourselves to be in a real place in. If you merely take this as a religious statement, many people do. They read that and, well, I don't see how I can be dead because I'm alive. But they do not really understand what happened when they gave their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. They don't really understand the mighty transformation that took place and the potential of the new man Christ living in them. And here they're living out of their memory, out of the old life. They're living out of their mind, out of the old life, and they're thinking in terms of that old life instead of realizing that we're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. We're a new creation. We have the potential as babes in Christ, as young men in Christ, young women in Christ, if we will let our Father teach us, we have the potential of learning life on a whole new plane altogether. And that is the plane of Jesus Christ living in us. But most Christians, sadly, most people, sadly, live out of their memory banks. See, when you came into the world as a newborn babe, not a Christian, just a babe born, you had no memory banks. Some say there might have been some in the womb. I can't go into that. Maybe, maybe not. It's possible. seems like possibly logically. But very little. But you come into this world and you begin to trust the word of your parents. They tell you that your name is James Durkin. I didn't come into the world and know that I was James Durkin. And it wouldn't really matter what they named me. Could have been John, Bill, Ed, could have been Sally, Susie, anything. I'm a Susie Durkin, see? Because I would have trusted my parents. Later on, I would have thought it strange, but at that point, I would have believed that, see? Now, they say to me, at some point, here's this man, I don't know who he is, I never saw him before I saw him. And here's this woman, I don't know who she is, I never saw her before I saw her. 
but she says, I'm your mother. And she sure acts like my mother. She hugs me, feeds me, cares for me, loves me, talks to me. My father, he's proud and he's looking at me and Jimmy, you're my son. And, so, and pretty soon it dawns on me, I'm his son. I'm her son. And then pretty soon this is your aunt and this is your cousin, this is your uncle, this is whatever your family, you have brothers, this is your brother, this is your sister, this is... My knowledge has come to me outside of myself. But now the problem we have is when we are born again, it would be wonderful if somehow God could erase all of our memory banks. Then we come to the world and we say, I don't know anything. Here I am. What do I do now? Oh, well, it's God who's going to feed you and it is God who will teach you and it's the Holy Spirit who will lead you and here's a book we're going to show you how to read and you read this book and then you... See? But the problem is, I think because I'm 59 years of age... I've lived a long time and I know a lot of things. And furthermore, I've studied a lot of things and I've got it all down and these things are all clear and these are things that I absolutely know. I know what I know that I know that I know. And then God comes along and he's teaching another part of us, which is this babe in Christ. See, one part of me, the natural man, is very grown up and he's loaded with all kinds of ideas about how life is. I know how life is. And then here's this babe that the Father, through the Holy Spirit, which has all this potential, the same as you had a potential when you were a little baby. I look at some of these little babes coming in here, and then I see some of our young people, and then I see some of our older ones. And I remember when some of those ones that are now preaching the gospel and teaching in our classes and fathers and mothers and bearing children of their own and living such exemplary Christian lives. I remember when they first came to us and were born again as newborn babes. I looked at them and I said, what is their potential, Lord? Show me what you have put into them. The potential is there. When these new babes, I look at every one, I say, oh, Lord, what potential is there? Here they're just laying there totally unable to do anything. But the potential is there. Now, in us, in these newborn sides of us, is potential to absorb, to understand, to grasp, a reality beyond anything we have ever learned and ever known. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you the truth, it has the power to overthrow most all of what you have learned naturally see, by a far greater understanding of the very nature of life itself. Now, that part of you, you have to get says, if ye then be risen with Christ. Are you risen with Christ? Amen. See, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Don't go back over this and over this and over this and over this. Whatever you've learned, you've learned. For good or bad, you've learned it. Now, it'd be better, like I say, if you could forget it, but if you can't forget it, gradually God will begin to show you how this fits in or how this overpowers this, and this is a very limited understanding, and this is the larger understanding. So then we have to give ourselves to Christ and say, Lord, teach me. Father, teach me. I want to know how this universe really is put together. I want to know what life is really all about. I want to see it from your point of view, not from this little limited point of view that I have over here. Now, here's this babe, this potential to grow, see? Now, think of yourself that way. Lord, I don't know anything the Bible says as yet I ought to know. So think of yourself as not knowing too much. I think of myself that way. I don't know too much. I've walked with the Lord for many, many, many years now. Matter of fact, it's been almost 40 years. Walking with him, you say, well, you must know plenty. I know plenty, but i tell you one thing that I know. I don't know anything as yet I ought to know. And I'm still just like a new learner. 
saying, Lord, every day, teach me this infinite what you know. I want to know. I want you to instruct me. I see things in the Bible that aren't working in my life. I want that to work in my life, Lord. I want the fullness of that potential before I leave this earth. And I'll tell you, there's something else I want. I want the fullness of that potential for you before you leave this earth. I want to see Christ working through you in ways that you've never seen in this earth before. Hallelujah. So, here we are. Set your mind on things above. Now, Paul says, speaking in Galatians here, the second verse 18, if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, now here, by coming to Christ, something broke. And what broke is the hold of sin over me. In other words, my spiritual mind has the power to grow unfettered by this natural mind which holds me back. Consider at one time that people generally believed the earth was flat. Now, no one had proven it or disproven it. Some had made statements to the contrary, but it was held to be that the earth was flat. Now, basically, if you had talked, and there are some people that believe that today. I knew a man when I was much younger that he belonged to the Flat Earth Society. And he still believed the earth was totally flat. And maybe it is, as far as I know. See, because I've never proved it either. But I think, based on some evidence, we could say the earth is very likely a globe and so forth and so on, oblate spheroid or whatever, and so forth. But that's not the point. The point is that these people, though whatever the earth was and whatever the earth is, they had a belief that the earth was flat. Now, when they come to Christ... They could read things in Scripture that would give them the idea the earth is, the Bible says, he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth shall have them in derision. So the Bible's talking about the earth making this great circle, which anyone looking out at the ocean on any day can see that great circle. But to them, no, even though the Bible says that, we know what we know. Well, what do you know? We know the earth is flat. How do you know it? Everyone says it's flat. What well, does that make it true? Well, no, now we look and we say, no, it is not flat. See? Or we know that it's the sun that moves through the heavens and the earth stands still. Is that true? Well, today now we say, well, no, that isn't true. We know the earth turns around about a thousand miles an hour, and uh, that's why it appears that the sun moves, and the sun really is moving toward uh, the fixed star Vega at a certain speed and so forth. I believe it's Vega, and the earth is spinning, and this is happening, and we're going around the sun, and that's what makes the season. We've got it all figured out. All right, I want to tell you something. If you're not careful, we from our point of view of our greater knowledge, will once again begin to contend with the word from our greater knowledge. And yet I want to tell you that a thousand years from now, our greater knowledge of the day will look like foolishness if a thousand years passes and the Lord does not come. What men will discover and learn and know will make our knowledge today seem like foolishness. Then why, why do we allow our memory banks, to confuse us about the potential for God's Word. See, it is God who is saying, this is the truth, walk in it. This is the truth that will set you free. This is the truth that will allow my Son to work through you, and you can do the works that He could do also. But we're hung up with this thing here. That I'm saying if you had moved it back 500 years or a 1,000 years it would have been the same memory banks that would have been attacking the word at that point and say, this can't be true because we know what we know. And yet the Bible makes it clear, we know nothing as yet we ought to know. It is only by God opening the eyes of our understanding that we will ever come to know anything that's of eternal value. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, let's turn to the next scripture. Verse 20. 
I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Now he's talking about a very personal living. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. So now I'm alive. Well, I say, well, of course I'm alive. I know that. You know how I know I'm alive? That's right, I'm alive. I feel my heart beating. That proves I'm alive. Now, Paul took a different point of view. He said, no, he said, you are not alive. You have your mind centered on the wrong thing to determine whether you're alive or not. He talked about a woman who lives in pleasure, meaning a wanton, adulterous type of woman who gave herself over to that. says in the book of Revelation, or I believe it's Revelation, she is dead while she lives. Now, how can a person be dead while they live? Because they use the wrong measure of living. They would go out and they would have an adulterous relationship somewhere, and they say, this is really living. My flesh is tingling, I'm alive. But God's judgment is, you are dead while you live. You're not alive, you are dead. The soul that sinneth, he shall surely die. He's not talking about physical death, he's talking about eternal death, spiritual death. See, so it's possible by your knowledge to say, I am alive, and I'm in good health, and very likely I'm going to live a long time. Only to tell you the truth, you could already be dead. If you do not know Jesus Christ, you are certainly dead without him. Now, the sad point is that we have been made alive in Christ. We who were dead, I was dead, the Bible says, you were dead in trespasses and sins, Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, took our sins upon himself, died, went down into the heart of the earth, came up, resurrected, see at the right hand of God, and gave his righteousness to us that our sins might be taken away. And now Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Now he's alive. No, he said, I'm dead. Now try and let your spiritual minds work. No, I am not alive. I am dead. Paul, Paul the sinner, Paul the man, Paul the Benjamite, Paul the Pharisee, Paul the leader, Paul whatever I was, I am dead. And he said, I've suffered the loss of all things for the sake of Christ and count what I've lost but to be trash that I might win Christ. But he said, now that I said I'm dead, I want to tell you I'm not really dead. Now that I said I'm crucified, I'm not really crucified. I live, yet it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, what did he mean? He meant that side of his nature by which he directed all of his life. That side of his nature by which he made judgments and decisions and everything came under the hammer of that mind and that will and that spirit that used to be Paul. He said, that part of me is dead, and henceforth I will no longer make judgments based on those memory banks. I will make judgment based on God's revelation to me. Now, that's a transforming thing. Now, you say, well, isn't that dangerous? No, it is not. No, it is not. And by the way, lest you get the idea that I'm saying that we should forget that two and two is four, or that gasoline, you put gasoline in your car, and that's what, you understand what I'm saying. Try to take it in its largest possible term. I'm talking about those things that are the important moral decisions of life. We're talking about moral things here. So when I'm trying to base judgments based on morality, what is right, what is proper, what is good, what is true, 
and I try to base it on what I've learned in this life, believe me, the Bible says the God of this world is the one who does the teaching in this life. And he's filled our minds with things that are contrary to the truth. Now let me give you some other scriptures here. By the way, I do want to mention that's why we need to be baptized in water. How many of you know the symbolism of being baptized in water, what it means? Can I see your hand raise your hand if you know what that means? That's right. All right, I want to tell you again for those of you who may not. That's a very strong symbolism, and that picture needs to be in your mind. Not only that, something happens in baptism that is different from any other experience that you'll ever have in your life. And I'll tell you what it is. When you come to be baptized in water, that's why it's enough water. Here's water. Why can I not be baptized? You take that person and you say in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we baptize you. And that person goes down in the water. There is a strong symbolism burning into his spirit. There is a strong reality working in his life. There is a transformation going on when he submits himself to that reality where he realizes, and if he doesn't, he will come to realize it if he opens himself up to God. He realizes he is buried and the old man is dead. Now, I tell you something. We need to go back over our baptismal experience from time to time. I do it myself. I'll lay there sometimes in bed or I'm sitting thinking about or I'm driving down the road and I think about the fact that James Durkin was a man that died when he was about 20 years of age. I died. What did they do with you? They buried me. Thank God. He's a pretty bad character, and God had to get rid of him. He wasn't worth living on this earth any longer. And what happened is, I remember I was buried, and then that water closed in over me, and that's what you do with a dead person, because if you don't, it's going to start smelling up everything, and you put the soil over them, you embalm them, you shoot them full of chemicals so they won't break down too soon, because people want to come and view them. If it didn't, it would be a, an immediate breakdown that begins to take place on a terrible stench, so the water flows over you. And then, miracle of miracles, the person brings you up. Now, notice, it isn't you. You've got to trust yourself to this person. Here you are, and you go down in baptism like this, and you're buried, and then you feel a hand raising you up, just as the power of God raised up Jesus Christ from the dead. So someone brings you up out of that water and realize that you've raised the newness of life. Now, you are not the same person anymore. See? Now, here God leaves these memory banks because he wants you to overcome them. He wants you to come to a place where you can look at this and then read his word and say, Father, give me a revelation. Here's what I've learned. Here's this thing is still sticking with me. But what is the truth, Father? And the Father says, I testify to you, this is the truth. And you look at this and say, I know that's the truth. And then you can lay this one aside. See, it's found its place in that early death. Here, you bury that and you bury that. And gradually you find yourself burying one thing after another that stands in the way of you believing what God's Word has to say about you, who you are in Christ Jesus. Who you are, you are meant to change history. That's who you are. In the same way that when Jesus came into this world, he changed history forever. He lived in a little place called Israel. A little nothing place in the sense of like of all the world's kingdoms and empires and powers. It's just a little place. They weren't a powerful people. They were a conquered people, a subjugated people. And here he's born of just an average family, carpenter's son, although he was really God's son. But as far as people knew, that's who he was. And he walked in this earth without pomp or circumstance. And he died on a cross, and everybody thought it was all over. And then some crazy story, these ragtag disciples of his were telling 
He's raised from the dead. We saw him. Some women, they're spreading these crazy stories. Where will this end? Well, it hasn't ended. It's spread all over the world. It's changed the face of the earth. It's changed morals and laws and empires because of that one life. And I tell you something, God intends to live through you in such a way that it won't be one happening 2,000 years ago. It'll be 10,000 times 10,000 happenings in every generation that the world should see Jesus Christ alive and functioning today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Bible speaks about old things have passed away, all things have become new. The Bible talks about receiving our identity and our potential. Matthew 11:25 talks about that potential. I am astounded by it. I haven't experienced it yet, but I know it's true. I've experienced some of it. I've seen some of it, but I've not experienced it all. But here's what he says about that potential. Matthew 11:25. At that time, Jesus answered, said, I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou didst hide these things from the wise and intelligent, and didst reveal them to babes. Yes, Father, for thus it was well-pleasing in your sight. See, the wise, that's where I was. I thought I was very wise in this world. I thought I'd learned a lot of lessons and learned them well. And I had some of them. Most of them I hadn't learned too much. And then Christ began to open my eyes after my life came to a shambles. I thought I knew how to take care of a family found out I didn't. And my life ended up in a breakup. Thought I knew how to raise children for Christ. Turned out I didn't. Almost lost them completely. Thought I knew how to preach the gospel. Turned out I didn't. Hurt a lot of people. Thought I knew how to build what God wanted me to build. And I didn't. I ended up taking bankruptcy. 1957. Lost everything, humiliated my wife, my family, myself I deserved that they did not, thought I knew everything. And then finally brought to the place where I said, Lord, I don't know anything as yet I ought to know. You begin to live through me. You begin to teach me. The wonderful thing about this great Christ with this abounding grace that flows into our lives, he flowed into me. Unworthy, a rebel. I had humiliated him, hurt his name, hurt his testimony among friends that looked to me for spiritual advice and life and guidance. And I'm down here living in a one-and-a-half-room shack. And I get down, I pray, I say, oh, God, help me. And his abundant grace flowed into my life again. And I stood up from there not knowing what it meant, but knowing I intended to live out this word the best I could, to practice the word. That's why... Some people will say about my message, one of the strong emphasis, practice the word, do it. Because that's what God told me. He said, I want you to practice my word, do it. Even if you don't understand it, do it. And in the doing of it, you'll come to know what it means. I said, Lord, a lot of this word I don't understand at all. And it just seems like foolishness to me, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it because you say to do it. And then what came out of that? I'll tell you what came out of it. After a short period of time, I began to have a sense that God was with me again. When I would pray, something was happening inside me that had never happened before. Then one day it was clear to me, God spoke to me and said, I want you to call your wife. You reestablish relationships with the wife of your youth, the one whom you made a covenant with. 
And I went back to my wife, called her, and thank God she still had that spirit toward me. She came and the two of us got together. And then my children, they said they never wanted to see me again. That is the two oldest ones. The daughter was too young. Two oldest ones that never wanted to see me again. And today we've got a love relationship that is fantastic, that's been built over the years by the Lord Jesus Christ working. I thought I'd never have a ministry again anywhere. thought I'll be the best Christian I can, try to help people where I can, but I certainly will never have a ministry again. And then God gave us back a ministry. See how abundant the grace is? Every step of the way, well, surely God can't do this. Well, surely God can't do this. Well, surely God, and every step of the way, he said, will you not believe that all things are possible to him to believe it, that I can do all things? See, and it's been a steady thing. All things, son. All things, son. All things. Well, can you heal the sick, Lord? Can you raise the dead? Can you cleanse lepers? Can you bring my wife back? Can you prosper me? Can you give me a ministry? Can you? Can you? Can you? Can you? Can you? The old memory banks. We think God deals with us the way we might deal with each other. I'll never forgive that person the way they wounded me. I'll never forgive them. The way they've hurt me, I would never trust them again. The way they've done to me, I could never believe in them again. But here's this great God says, I believe in you because my son is living in you. And I believe you're coming to the place where you're going to give up your old ideas and you're going to start trusting me. Will you do it, Jim? Father, to the best of my ability, I'm going to practice this word. Christ Jesus lives in you. Would you bow your head with me in a word of prayer, please? Heavenly Father, you've shown me a little bit of your glory, a little bit of your majesty. And Lord, I'm having my own battle with memory banks. But Lord, step by step, you're putting them all in place. And you're showing me from your word that which is true, that which I can rely upon, that which is more certain than my fleeting life itself. You're showing me things which are eternal. And those eternal things, Lord, have transformed my life. And Father, not only my life, but they have transformed the lives of many people that are here today. And their lives have been changed. They have come to know you are living in them. Father, they don't fully know what that really means. And I don't fully know what that really means. But Lord, step by step, I'm praying that you enlarge the potential of that understanding in them. Lord, that you open wide their minds that they may meditate upon that potential. Until when you speak things like the words that I do, shall ye do also, and greater works than these, because I go to my Father. They realize, Father, that you are living in them for the express purpose. They realize, Jesus, that you are living in them for the express purpose of manifesting yourself through them. So, Lord, when they're on the job, they are ambassadors for Christ on that job. And they have the power to manifest Jesus just as surely as when Jesus was on this earth, Father, he was able to manifest the word of God to Nicodemus. He was able to manifest the word to Zacchaeus. He was able to manifest the word from everyone from the highest rulers to the lowest beggar in Jerusalem and Israel because he knew that you were in him and that you had given him the ministry of reconciliation. Now, Father, in like manner, you said through Jesus Christ, you have given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And, Father, that means on our jobs, in our homes, among our families, in our communities, 
we are to spread this word of reconciliation, that God is desiring to come and live in the hearts and lives of people. God is desirous of coming and living in human flesh. God is desirous of coming and living in every single person on this earth, black or yellow, white or brown, regardless of their background or their education. God, you wish to live in them, and you wish to manifest yourself through your Son, Jesus Christ, in them. Now, Father, I pray that every one of us here, Lord, begin to meditate upon that potential. Jesus Christ lives in me. Would each one of you say this for me? Jesus Christ lives in me. Say it again. Jesus Christ lives in me. Now I want you to think of the next thing, and I want you to say it. Christ Jesus desires to live through me. Lord, help me to let him live through me. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, you've heard our prayer. And, Lord, what we've begun here today, we've made a prayer to you, a statement. Lord, we realize something, and that is that you are living in us. Father, we realize more than that in Jesus Christ. He desires to live through us, and you live through us in him. You have sent the Holy Spirit to us that that power may be there to give us understanding. You have sent your word, Father, to heal us. You have sent your Son to save us. And you have given us your Spirit to give us understanding. You have made it very clear that no man knows the thoughts of God, only the Holy Spirit. But you put that Holy Spirit in us. We have the mind of Christ. Now I pray that the understanding of your people begins to open up. And Lord, they begin to meditate between now and next week on the potential of Christ living in them, Christ desiring to live through them, and they wanting that to take place. Father, in the name of Jesus, bring that to pass.